You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at sax.com. Hey, y'all. Spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. Monster House presents Monster Talks, a proud member of the Airwave Media Podcast Network, home of such shows as Kick-Ass News, Movie Therapy, and Therapist Uncensored. If you'd like to advertise on the show, contact sales at advertisecast.com. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland. It's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Monster Talk. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. I get very excited when I learn about monsters I've not heard of before. In this episode, we're joined again by Chris Woodyard, and she's going to tell us about the women in black. The streets of small-town America were being haunted in the late 1800s by a figure that was simultaneously tragic and sinister. Tall, slender women clad in Victorian black funerary garb were seen here and there walking small towns and cities, behaving oddly. Were they strangers in mourning and just merely passing through? Were they the product of a contagious social panic? Were they cross-dressing men seeking safety in the social prescriptions against being pestered during their symbolically simulated grief? Were they even really there at all? I was absolutely reminded of our coverage of Slenderman and spring Jack as I listened to these strange stories from Chris. Like most topics we cover... There was likely more than one thing at play behind these encounters, but I think you'll find these stories fascinating and evocative of a time when a variety of cultural transitions were happening in the world. 
on the cusp of a change in the century, of a technological revolution, of a vast growth in the scale of wars, these dark and mysterious mourning-clad figures carry many meanings, and I must admit that despite their monochromatic garments, I can't help but find these women in black incredibly colorful. Monster Dog. Well, Chris, welcome back to the show. And when you and I were talking initially, uh, you said, let's talk about uh, death omens. But then you also mentioned the women in black. And I immediately thought of men in black. But the women (laughs) in black seem to predate the men in black. And I was just fascinated with this topic. And it's one I'd never heard of. Blake, are you familiar with the women in black? The only woman in black I know is the fictional story from England that became oh, yes. a play and then a made-for-TV movie. Oh, yes, my fine. gosh. I think it oh. might have been a Nigel Neal adaptation of her book. Anyway, and then they did the uh, remake when they brought Hammer back from the dead, uh, the studio. The first movie mm-hmm. they did was uh, a remake of The Women, the Woman in Black with uh, uh, Daniel Radcliffe uh, doing right. some of his post-Harry Potter stuff. So that's the only woman in Where's... black I know. I don't know if these are related, and I'm excited to find out. Well, I prefer the the BBC one. Uh, I think it was BBC with Pauline Moran. Uh, yeah, terif- absolutely well, terrifying. BBC is always the best. <laughs> the Beebs. So, so the women in black that I'm familiar with were mysterious figures which were dressed like Victorian widows, and they flitted around in the dark. And they terrorized communities all across the United States, uh, beginning mm-hmm. in 1860s. I say that they sort of arose out of the carnage of the uh, Civil War because there were certain lots of certainly lots of mourners yeah. in that time. Mm. But the earliest one uh, that I had found was in 1863. Mm-hmm. They're usually described as unnaturally tall, uh, unnaturally thin. And they're always veiled in black. You hardly ever see their face. They were particularly active in the coal mining areas of Pennsylvania. And they just caused this huge panic wherever they showed up. It Mm -hmm. it was really quite um, like the ghost panics you might find um, where people were running around in, you know, they'd get up a posse and they'd start shooting at things. Yeah, we've <laughs> talked about that briefly, uh, the, mm-hmm. especially in the UK in, yes. the, I guess, super early 1800s, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep, yep. Well, Chris, could I just ask you about uh, the, the clothing that these women wore? Because you've written a number of articles about women in black and you mentioned widow's weeds. Right. And so I was wondering if you could explain what widow's weeds are and maybe talk a little bit about Victorian the, the etiquette of mourning. Right. The Victorian widow would wear an all-black dress. It had to be, in first mourning, you had to wear everything in a dull fabric. And that's mm-hmm. where crepe came in, because it was kind of a crinkly fabric that absorbed the light. And it was, uh, if you saw that fabric, you knew someone was in mourning. The Victorian widow, in her first mourning, would be wearing all-black. It would be dull fabrics, um, nothing shiny at all, and she would be wearing a heavy mourning veil that covered her face when she went out of the house. Uh, This veil could be down to her heels in the back and down to her waist in the front. So it was quite an opaque fabric. Uh, Again, it was a crinkly mourning crepe, and it's really hard to see when you're wearing these things, but it was essential uh, for etiquette 
it was considered disrespectful if you didn't put on this entire black outfit. Uh, people actually were ostracized or criticized um, if they didn't conform. Mm -hmm. How long would they wear these clothes for? It sort of depended on which etiquette book you consulted. Um, I've heard up to two years. Generally, it was six months in black with crepe. And then you could take the crepe off and you could put something sparkly like jet on your dresses. Um, and that was for another six months. And then perhaps after that, you could go into what was called half mourning. And you sort of ease back into colors by wearing gray or white or a purple or a mauve color. And then eventually, maybe after two years or a year and a half or just a year, it depends on um, the time of the date. It, it, it really did vary. It wasn't quite as uh, as uh, hard and fast as we might real think. We always try when we can to stick in little things that people might be able to repeat at a dinner party. <laughs> it, and you mentioned Jet, and I bet most people don't know where Jet Black comes from or the name or wh what it is. W would you mind explaining that? Oh, Jet is a, a material. Um, it's a, a type of coal uh, made from uh, they're, they're real specific about it. It's monkey pod trees that were compressed over centuries or, you know, thousands of years. And it's mined, it was mined in Whitby, England, right. home of where Dracula came ashore. Yeah. <laughs> and, now, and now home of the Goth Festival. But it was quite the industry there because they made jewelry out of it. Again, it had, it could have a dull finish or it could have a shiny finish. Um, so it was very popular um, to be made into mourning jewelry or into beading on the clothing. Although a lot of what we call jet is actually just black glass. That's interesting. But uh, were there uh, cases of uh, some women who stayed in mourning dress for the, the rest of their lives? I think was it uh, Queen Victoria did that? She certainly did. Um, and she she I don't think she ever went out of black at all, although we've got some very, very elaborately uh, embellished dresses that she wore or bodices with all kinds of beadwork and uh, embroidery and lace and all kinds of things. But in first morning, you wouldn't dare wear any of that. It had to be very somber and very, um, very dull. The, the word dull keeps coming up. But the morning veil was kind of the most symbolic thing about a widow. And if you saw a woman going down the street in this very spooky looking morning veil, you would know you had to treat her with consideration. And um, we sometimes think, oh, that's one of those things that the patriarchy imposed. But women said it was actually kind of a relief. Uh, it, it hid their tear-stained faces and they didn't have to interact with people. People would know sure. they didn't need to bother this woman. She's in she's in mourning. Oh, so <laughs> that really makes these these entities, whatever they are, especially uh, spooky, elusive, because people might see them and be confused or interested or wondering, but it would be rude. Like like you're, the, the, the mores of the time would keep you to from approach walk, to approach them. Yeah, unapproachable. Yeah, exactly. That's, yes, exactly. Wow. And the, it was, you know, it, often they were, there was a suggestion that these were men 
in women's clothing because they were so tall. And I thought, yes, that is the perfect disguise. If you are a man who likes wearing women's clothing, this is one of the few ways you could probably venture out into public without being discovered. And then hiss at people. And hiss at people, yes, or attack (laughs) people. And it was actually used as a criminal disguise. I've got tons of stories about people who dressed up in widow's weeds and they they used it to assault someone or they they were a burglar or they set bombs and nobody could recognize them because they were veiled. And you wouldn't wouldn't dare approach a widow and yank her veil off. Um, Mm. In only a single case of these stories of these entities flitting around in the dark, did anyone dare that I've read uh, pull off the veil? And it was some plucky young woman, and she discovered that the uh, person behind the veil was a young man from a very prominent family. Just out for a prank, I guess. Scandalous. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, that's uh, that's that's kind of doubly uh, scandalous. It's you're you're crossing gender dress, and you're also not really in mourning. So it's like a, right. it's, it's a double whammy. Exactly. It's like doubly transgressive. To, it's to, like to, stolen to the... valor for widows. Yeah. Mm. But uh, with these, some of the cases that you've written about, uh, it doesn't seem like uh, in in some cases anyway that they're not uh, men that they, there might be something else. Right. They're, they just disappear. Um, they flit through these. They're usually out at, 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 in the dark, but not always. Um, and they're usually outside. They never speak. They might hiss, <laughs> which is just <laughs> terrifying. Yeah, um, yeah. They move without noise. Uh, they're described as tall and skeletal, and, and they're they're just sort of one of those intermittent things, almost like where, you know, we think of perhaps Bigfoot as a phantom because it's solid one moment and then it's not there. And the women in black were very much like that uh, because you would chase them down the street and you could never catch them. This reminds me very much of uh, Slender Man. Now, in the case of Slender Man, that's a made-up creature. Sure. But, yet, but the, when people report seeing it, like as though it's a real thing, it, it's it's quite similar. It's quite quite similar. This is really interesting, but so th- it's it's the same mo, but it's way way older, right? So right, way older, and it and it is it's an just another. I think the Slender Man has to do with as you were saying about the ghost panics in the in the early nineteenth and in the eighteenth century. There's just all these sort of flaps of um, right. things flitting around in the dark and scaring people and. If they're pranksters, I, I've never figured this one out because there were armed people chasing these women in black. And if you were just a prankster, you were liable to be shot. Yeah. But yeah, they didn't yeah. stop. It didn't stop them. Well, we're pretty confident some people do dress as Bigfoot, but I think there's a similar risk, right? It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. That's true. Definitely yeah, so, <laughs> it's like it, when you love a prank. What, <laughs> I, it, again, if that's the explanation. So. so you've written about two cases in particular uh, of these mysterious women. And so uh, if you could maybe delve into these a little bit. And the, the first case you've written about is uh, the woman in black of Rhinebeck in New York from 1892. Yeah, I was trying to find out where Rhinebeck is, and I, I see it's about halfway up the Hudson to Albany. Yeah, the, the headlines were just um, 
they were all over the papers. Uh, Rhinebeck in terror of a woman in black. She is over six feet tall, preternaturally slender, goes abroad only of dark nights and hisses at those she meets. They kind of, you know, put all the spoilers in the in the headlines. This was Rhinebeck, New York, um, and it was it was close, roughly sixty miles from Sleepy Hollow, so they had to, you know, draw that parallel. But mm. this thing would just glide along the streets at night, uh, never spoke. Her language is the language of signs. They said she halts long enough to stretch out an arm from beneath the veil and make a hissing noise. Good mm. Lord. Wow. She, um, she was standing in people's yards. She's just oh standing outside and this guy, you know, walks out and, and finds her and, you know, they all start panicking because they see this thing in their front yards. Yeah. Um, this one guy said, he says he's, he was six foot tall and he had to look up at her. She shrank from him with a hissing sound, he declares, and he passed on without saying a word. I'm kidding. <laughs> Then he says, I wasn't scared, boys, but she was so tall and slim and piratical looking. <laughs> piratical? Oh, that's, dear. that's funny. I wonder anyway, if they, they were omens at all, these women. Well, I, I think I've got a couple of stories where they did prove to be an omen of death, and, and we'll get to those in a second. A lot of the ones in the Pennsylvania coal fields seem to be and i think also in new orleans but in any case this this they also jumped these these creatures would leap at people sometimes they would slap them or assault them in some way one of them jumped into a river i i wonder if there's any parallel with spring hill jack oh wow yeah another show favorite yeah. and i call, i sort of call these the female uh, version of a jack because they're doing exactly the same thing. They're terrorizing and people. And spring Hill Jill has a nice ring to it. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah, it you does. Know. <laughs> nice. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by sax.com. At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch, find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. But it's anyway, they, they, they sent out posses and eventually she just stopped showing up. Um, never seen abroad in the daylight. Never, nobody ever found her hiding anywhere. But the idea of this thing standing in the, in the front yard hissing at you is just beyond oh, the yeah. pale. Hissing like a snake. I've had my children wake me up by just standing next to me and staring. I, it's like, and yeah, I wake up and I just see this sh- shadowy 
thing no. standing next to the bed. Oh my yeah. god! Oh. It's like, oh. Yeah, <laughs> they're Very evil. Scary. They're evil. <laughs> <laughs> you ask about the idea that these would be an omen of death, and I find that um, again in the Pennsylvania stories, they tend to be now. The coal mines of Pennsylvania were not a safe place to be. Uh, you know, it was just, it goes without saying that, that death was everywhere. Uh, it, it makes me wonder, you know, there were plenty of widows seen. Why was this so terrifying? Uh, because you did see widows. You ask about these as death omens. And again, in the Pennsylvania coal country, it was particularly regarded as a death omen, almost like a banshee, uh, which might be because we had a fair number of Irish immigrants in that area, also Welsh um, immigrants who had women in black in their own um, folklore. In Carbondale, Pennsylvania, in particular, there was this woman in black that was just sort of wandering around the streets. Um, they started chasing her. And she disappeared into a coal mine. She jumped into a coal mine entrance. And of course, they searched and couldn't find her. But they said that a short time before a disastrous cave-in at one of their mines, 50 years before, a black ghost just like that one was prowling about the town under the same circumstances. And 28 years ago, the same kind of woman in black or one with the same habits, they said, appeared three times, just as this one has done, and then happened the memorable plague of black fever, which carried away scores of men, women, and children in Carbondale. So she was seen as an omen of death and an omen of either a cave-in or a mine explosion or some kind of terrible disease. And I, I've actually looked up those diseases and those, those cave-ins, and uh, yeah, they, they correlate with the appearances of the woman in black. I, every time I think about uh, omens and coal mines, I think about the Cornish uh, Tommyknockers. And, yes. And uh, this, this, uh, but I think miners and sailors, and I say this as a former sailor, that we we have a reputation for being superstitious, you know, <laughs> and uh, mm -hmm. and have everything's an omen. Oh my gosh, I, I I would you I would have thought even as a sailor before going onto a ship that that was all just you know that's that's gone because we're in a non superstition. No, no, there's plenty of superstition on the ships still. Still, first, okay. still. Huh. For sure. I, mm. uh, starting with chiefs in their coffee cups, it's bad luck if you clean a chief's coffee cup. They like to leave a layer of muck in the bottom, and I am oh not my. making that. It is nasty. So, wow. yeah. yeah so. <laughs> that wards off scurvy or something, I suppose. Uh, uh, I yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Penicillin, wow. right? Sorry. But <laughs> yeah. you had mentioned, uh, or we, there's a, a woman in black in New Orleans. Mm. Yeah. Is is this one similar to the Rhinebeck story? Or? Yeah, she related. Yeah. Well, it's it's one of the few that also appears inside. Um, that's what I I didn't. You know, you usually see them outside. They don't they don't come indoors. Uh, but in this case, again, she's wandering around the streets, and uh, this one this this fellow said she was one that she didn't have a veil on. So she's really unusual. She's 
has a very pinched and haggard face and a dull, death-like stare, her head bare of any covering. But she was dressed in black, so they assumed that she was a widow of some sort. But she's wandering around the streets, and then this fellow tried to enter his own gate, and she's just standing there. And she just shakes her head. She's not going to move. He raises his hand, and then he, sh- he gets shocked by touching her. So he ran away. He was he was not happy. I would imagine New Orleans is a perfect place for one of these ghosts. Well, and I, I like the the part where the the electrical shock happens. That's that's uh that's so different. It gets better because one one man reported that uh, his friend came banging on his door and he was terrified and he let his friend in and his friend said, "I have to sleep here tonight. I can't cope with what just happened." He was sleeping in his own house, and he said, I was awakened by a cold touch upon my face. And then I thought, it's just my imagination. But then somebody else was in the room. You know somebody's in the room. So he woke up, and he rolled over, and he realized there was something in the room that was very bad. He got out of the bed, sprang for the matches, and struck one. I saw in the corner what made me fairly quake, the woman in black crouching and staring yikes she rose up came towards me i felt myself coming under her influence i felt if that happened i was gone so then he bolted and to his friends okay that's straight out of a victorian horror novel that is it is it's like the woman in black the the tv show but she's unusual she doesn't wear the veil but she still terrifies the public and manages to disappear without being caught but This was a banshee, if ever there was one, uh, because this was dated December 1877. In the spring of 1878, one of the deadliest yellow fever epidemics hit New Orleans, killed some 5,000 people. So people looked back at this and said, that was the woman in black telling us that something was about to happen. Right, foretelling. It reminds me, I guess there's several things going on here. That you know, sort of culturally, and, and one of them is this idea of omens and you know, sort of fixing causation on some supernatural warning. But the other one is we talked about these ghost panics, which is not something we really dug into very deeply, but we have talked about them. Um, and and the the idea that you can get an entire community worked up around something that from the outside, if you're not in the panic, sounds absurd. But if you're there and everybody believes it, it's imperative that you act on it as a group and work towards, you know, fighting this thing that may not even exist. So I, I, I think that there's something really profoundly interesting here about how stories affect human behavior. Yeah, these are a, a perfect example of a social panic. And mm-hmm. I, I've heard people say, well, you know, the social stresses, for example, in Puerto Rico created the Chubacapra. And I'm wondering, okay, what's the physical mechanism that translates social fear into seeing something that's draining the blood of your pet animals or your your farm Mm -hmm. animals? I I don't understand what the mechanism is. Um, But if ever there was a a case for a social panic, um, the coal mine ghosts, the coal mine women in black are a perfect example because things were so stressful and yep. you had everything was very precarious. 
if your man, if your husband died, you were thrown out of housing immediately. Um, if he was injured, there was no recourse. Nobody was going to pay you for it. No one was going to take care of you. You were doomed uh, mm -hmm. to some extent. And it was a very precarious and dangerous existence. And so here we are with women in black, the symbol of death flitting around the streets. Yeah, and I've often it's... wondered why the women in black didn't go down the mines, why the men didn't see them there. But it was bad luck hmm. to have women down the mines. So. Right. Chris, you were talking about these these particular cases uh, going back to the, the 19th century and that they, this was part of a, a panic, a 19th century panic overall. But have there been any more recent cases or contemporary sightings of these women in black? There is a sort of a, as you said, a counterpart to the men in black who are um, phantom social workers. Um, they don't wear widow's weeds. They don't, they're not veiled or anything like that. Um, so I'm not sure it's an actual um, comparison. Right. The widow's weeds uh, went out with the First World War. And I say that the women in black stopped appearing because there were changes in fashion. The hemlines went up, and if you were actually yeah. a man flitting around in the dark, you couldn't disguise yourself any longer. Right. Um, there was a few years ago, there was a very strange story of a woman in black who was wearing some kind of a robe and sort of a headscarf that was walking along roads on the East Coast. And she was very, very scary looking. Um, but she was just a, a wanderer. She was actual flesh and blood. Uh, and once the police talked to her and she wasn't doing any harm, she was allowed to go on her way. I think she was the widow of a soldier. And this was perhaps her way of, of dealing with her grief. Well, th these stories have all been fascinating. Uh, and I, I, I know that you've written some books. I assume that they are full of even more of the same. Where is the best place for listeners to find your work? I have a couple of blogs, um, the Victorian Book of the Dead blog and the Haunted Ohio Books blog, which has a lot of the women in black stories. Uh, you'll find also some stories about the women in black in a book called The Ghost War Black, Ghastly Tales from the Past, uh, which has a whole chapter on these flitting in the dark creatures. Fantastic. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think our listeners are going to be very, uh, very interested in your books and we'll, we'll want to go and pick up copies. And we want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about uh, death omens and women in black with us. But we've got a final question, Chris, and uh, that we ask all of our guests, and that is what's your favorite monster? All right. My favorite monster. Do you remember the monster in the Bugs Bunny cartoon with the big hairy orange monster with the tennis shoes. Yes. Yes. That yeah. scared the heck out of me when I was a <laughs> child. And I just learned that it has a name. It has, it's called Gossamer. Yeah. So, I think I, I read, I think I read that in the past, I don't know, two or three months somewhere. Uh, that's interesting. That's, that's one of my very yeah. favorites. I'm, I'm also partial to the Loch Ness monster and the Lambton uh, worm. Classic, classic ones. Oh, that is but a then, classic. The yeah. Lambton worm. Love that. And then, but, yeah, go ahead. Let's see. Um, I'm also partial to banshees, but there's a 
there's a great monster in Ohio called the Crosswick Monster. Ooh, I have never heard this. No. It was a reptilian creature, like a snake, and these boys were out fishing, and it, it came out of a hollow tree, and suddenly it seemed to extrude a pair of arms and legs and grabbed one of the boys and tried to drag it away. So they got a posse up to try to chase this thing. Um, and it, it was described as about 16 inches in diameter with a scaled legs and body, the head about the same thickness as the body. It propelled itself with its tail. So they gathered together with axes and clubs and surrounded the tree and tried to cut it open. And it slithered out and reared up on its hind legs and fled. Um, a few of them followed it and it disappeared into a hole near the river. But nobody was quite courageous enough to follow it, so they blew up the entrance and sealed the monster inside. Um, it might have escaped. They didn't find it when they cleared away the rocks, so there's a sort of a wetlands there, and maybe it still stalks the wetlands around the area. <laughs> what I find fascinating about this story is that um, there's all these people named in the story. A, a local pastor, a local judge, prominent people in town. And um, it seems a very improbable story to have a sort of a dinosaur grabbing boys out of a, out of a tree. But um, I wonder why people who were prominent in the area would allow them their names to be used in, in such a tall tale. But America has a, a tradition of tall tales, so perhaps that's, mm. that's what's there. Oh, great answers there. And so that's certainly some different ones to those that we normally receive. Oh, uh, yeah. And uh, as far as I can tell, I don't know of this monster at all, this Crosswick monster. Mm. That is great. So I A new I, one for us. A yeah. new one. Love it. Love it. Mm -hmm. well, it appears in my Haunted Ohio 2 volume. Fantastic. So. I, I <laughs> This was really great. Thank you so much oh, for coming yeah, to talk to I us. I love this. Great Thank stories. You. I, I really appreciate you having me on. Uh, it, it's just been a treat. And I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, people enjoying the stories of the hissing women in black. Yeah, yeah. We're going to get some feedback on that one, I think. We'll get some hiss, hissing persons calls. For hissing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, the final one. <laughs> All right. Well, have a great evening. Thanks a lot. All right. Monster Talk. You've been listening to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. You just heard an interview with author Chris Woodyard about her work researching The Women in Black. Please check the show notes for links to more of her fascinating research and writing. Also, not really related to this topic, but related to monsters overall, I threw in a link to a Kickstarter for a monster book that might be of interest to listeners, so check the show notes. Always check the show notes. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. Each episode, we strive to bring you the very best in monster-related content with a focus on bringing scientific skepticism into the conversation. If you enjoy Monster Talk, we now have a variety of ways to support the show, all with convenient links at monstertalk.org forward slash support. That's monstertalk.org forward slash support. We have links there to our Patreon page as well as a donation button. Another great way to support the show is to buy books from our Amazon Monster Talk wish list, which directly helps us with our research. 
We love used books very much, so don't feel compelled to buy new ones. And we love Kindles, so we can share our digital libraries with each other. And finally, without spending any money at all, you can support us by leaving a positive review at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Positive reviews help keep us visible in iTunes, which is a great way to help us find new listeners. And please share our show on your favorite social media platforms. Monster Talk's theme music is by Peach Stealing Monkeys. You could have dressed all in black and put a veil over your face and shuffled down the streets of your hometown alone. But you chose to bring us along, and for that we thank you. been a Monster House presentation.